have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single family homes up and down the East Coast. And now, Ken the Contractor brings his years of experience to the radio. Square footage, meaning when you buy a home, you got 3,000 square feet, you got 1,000 square feet, whatever. That is the most expensive space we buy. Cubic feet, that's where we start to use our vertical space, is some of the least expensive that we have. Yet, that's probably one of the most underutilized areas in our homes. Do you have a question about your home, inside or out? Call Ken the Contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour with Ken the Contractor. You can reach Ken the Contractor with questions about your home, inside or out, at 800-614-2975. That's 800 614 2975. And we're here weekends at this time to help you with issues about your home inside and out. You can also post your questions online at our website, kenthecontractor.com. Now we spend a fair amount of time talking about both buying and selling real estate. That may be undeveloped property, perhaps a condo, a new home, a mobile home. It doesn't really matter if you've got real estate that is permanent property. It's going to have a title to it. And one of the items that we have not discussed is maybe the best way to hold that title because we're frequently asked, well, uh, you know, first, who's going to be on the title? And then what form do we want to take title in? First thing I should caution you about is be different states may have slightly different rules and regulations about titles and how they work through their legal system. So in every case, what I'm about to share with you, you should be asking your title professional, your title company, your real estate broker, or specifically an attorney if you have legal questions. And while I'm not an attorney, I've dealt with an awful lot of real estate, both buying and selling in my career, and I've dealt with this over and over again. As I said, it varies from state to state. But I'm going to give you some legal information that comes from uh, a person who follows real estate. This is from Harvey Jacobs, who happens to be an attorney. So this is not legal advice, but it does come from someone who works in this business on a regular basis. Also is a, uh, a developer and a real estate investor. So he clearly understands the ins and outs of this. So what you've got is an attorney that I'm going to share some facts from. And then you've got a, a builder as well who's been doing this for a long time. And if you have questions... Want to go to the website or give us a call? We'll be glad to address them today. But if you're thinking about that right now, there are four primary ways of taking title to a piece of real estate. And most of us may have said, how in the world can there be four? Well, the first one is probably one that we would assume to be very common, especially if you're an individual, if you're not married, uh, if you don't have uh, children, if you don't have other family members. And even if you do, if it's just something you're doing on your own, and that's to solely own this, you have a, a sole ownership, you are the only name on that title, which gives you all rights to do just about anything and everything that you can legally do with a piece of property. This is the most fundamental, most basic way that one of us, any of us, can hold title to that. And again, that's in our own name. We can lease the property. We can occupy the property. We can do everything that is legal and proper. We can sell the property and encumber it through mortgages. Secondly is a phrase that you may see on occasion. Sometimes even those of you that have bank investments, CDs, and others, they may ask you about similar language. I don't want you to be confused by it, but I want you to ask your banker about these and see if the meaning in your state is the same. But the second way to own property is referred to as a tenant in common. 
You say, well, I'm not a tenant. I'm going to own the property. I'm buying the property. Most of us think of a tenant as being one who leases from someone. But a tenant in common allows two or more owners to hold title. And this is most commonly used in, in businesses in purchasing uh, real estate. There may be two, three, four, five partners or business owners that want to come together, or the bank may require them to come together and own this collectively. So they have a tenancy in common, if you will. And that is something that we see used in residential purchases from time to time, but not as often as we see some of these others, or even looking at the sole ownership. The With each tenant, when you have a tenant in common or tenancy in common, each tenant in common can own a different percentage of the property. That's one of the advantages for it to be used from a business standpoint. So there may be a case that there are three people, rather than being shared uh, equally, of one-third, that all of a sudden one person has 50% and the other two have 25%. So this is a way of defining in a contractual or legal manner also from a title standpoint, who owns what. Now, one of the things we have to be aware of when we deal with the tenancy in common is that the right or the ownership percentage that each person has can be attacked. So if you own 50% and uh, your brother owns 25 and your sister owns 25, for example, and uh, your sister has a judgment placed against her name, then whoever owns that judgment can attack that 25% interest in that property. So there are exposures that we have as we bring more and more people into real estate holdings. And that's always something that I've kept in the back of my mind, and I'm encouraging you to do so as well. The third method is joint tenancy with right of survivorship. And that really has the implications that you would would guess when you see or hear right of survivorship. One main difference, as its name implies, is that when a joint tenant dies, the surviving joint tenant acquires his or her interest. Now, for some out there, we might want to be looking over our shoulder if we take property in that that way. But seriously, it helps to eliminate some of the probate issues and other things that we deal with out there. And the fourth one is tenancy by the entirety. And this is reserved really exclusively for real property ownership by married couples, um, domestic partners, uh, where each spouse is deemed to own 100% of the entirety, subject only to his spouse's ownership of 100% of the entirety. It gets a little complex, but what I want you to do is understand that there are right ways better ways, and in some cases wrong ways, to holding title to your real estate. And the important thing is that if you didn't follow all of that, you don't understand it in great detail because it can be very confusing if you don't deal with it on a regular basis, is that you ask your title company or your real estate agent or your attorney for very specific information so that as you acquire title to land or you transfer title, that you may be reducing potential estate issues, uh, as to as, lo- as low as possible and also eliminate potential legal hassles for you at a later date. So ask the question. The only dumb question, remember, is the one you don't ask. Well, I remember growing up listening to a guy on the radio who said, whenever you're dealing with any type of land or property issues, you always have to have an attorney. There are so many legal pitfalls. And the other thing oftentimes is just determining, do you have clear title in many cases? Yeah, that's a fact. And that's becoming more and more of a difficult question around the nation today. So title insurance for me is an item that I'm always purchasing. And secondly, I am dealing with an attorney 
to work through all of the potential issues that can come up. And I've done this for a long time, folks, and I'm still working through real estate attorneys. They are well worth the dollars that I'm paying them. Ken Batterson is Ken the Contractor. He has over 30 years' experience working in the commercial home building industry and also major projects up and down the eastern seaboard. He's here weekends to help you deal with simple home improvement questions or complex ones. You can always reach Ken through his website. That's KenTheContractor.com, or you can dial in a question and join us here on the show at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor, and also follow us on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you do happen to miss it, portions of a program, you can always go to our website, KenTheContractor.com, and you'll find podcasts of recent shows, all online and available to you at KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Thanks for making Ken the Contractor part of your weekend. You can reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Let's go to the phones right now. Wayne joins us. He wants to talk pressure washers. Hi, Wayne. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor. All right. Let's talk pressure washers. Okay. I don't think my brother-in-law, who is a builder of houses at Kings Mill in Williamsburg, which are very exclusive houses, he warns against pressure washers. If if there's little hairline cracks in the brick, which happens to all houses, this forces water in behind the brick. And if you keep doing it and keep doing it, it's going to start smelling. It's going to start molding. Am I right or am I wrong? Well, if bricks installed properly, it has an airspace behind it. The Masons would yeah. refer to it as a finger space. It gives them room to lay that brick. And that actually there is some very minuscule but some degree of energy efficiency that that adds to the overall structure. Right. And that's one reason we put vapor barriers on the wall before the brick goes up because moisture, depending on the type of brick, moisture can get through that brick anyway, the face brick and the mortar joint as well. But there's right. no there's no doubt about it. Anytime you force water against something, it has a greater potential of penetrating that and sitting there and taking longer to dry out. But it should still dry regardless. It's no different than having well, a massive rain. But I do want to say this with, with pressure washers and brick, manufacturers of the brick do not recommend using a pressure washer on brick. One, because you damage the face of it. Also, because as you uh, are talking, it can damage that mortar, and in the winter months, that can create some other issues. So I'm one that would suggest, I suggest you stay away from pressure washers and brick anyway. Well, and aluminum siding. If you don't know how to use it on aluminum siding, what you're going to do is, Jim has talked about on occasion, leave the mark of Zorro somewhere in there, because it will cut through the finish. It'll drill a hole in it. That's right. But it, you know, plus, plus salt-treated lumber. He said, "Do not use pressure washer on salt-treated lumber." Well, it tends to get rid of some of the effectiveness, some of the chemicals and so forth that's on that lumber, and uh, I wouldn't disagree with that either. Again, it may look great for a while, but you have to think about what you're doing in terms of harming that. Most of us wouldn't take a pressure washer to our car. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. And so if you're not going to put it on a finish like your vehicle, you need to be careful. Now, I'm talking about the average individual. If you've got a trained professional that understands the type tips to use, the pressure, because you, most of us think 5,000 PSI has got to be better than 2,500. There might be a reason to use a 1,500 PSI pressure washer for some basic cleaning, but you're not forcing water into your mortar joints or damaging your brick if you know what exactly. you're doing. Exactly. 
So, yeah, you're, you raise a very good question that all of us should be thinking about. Just because I've got a 5,000 PSI unit doesn't mean I can go out and, and uh, clean everything here. So be careful, whatever you're doing with the pressure washers. Good call. Thanks. Thank you, Wayne. We do appreciate it. And, yes, I did leave the infamous mark of zero on the uh, brick front of my house. Well, that's the reason I refer to it occasionally. Yes. You've made everybody in listening land aware of that. So I just it's a reminder to folks that, one, if they want to know where Jim lives, it's the one with the Mark of Zorro on the, on yes. the foundation of the right home. the brick. But secondly, uh, you know, as we just discussed, uh, pressure washers are great at doing certain things, but it's so easy if you don't know how to use it, like any other tool, to damage the property. Be careful. All right. Let's go to our mailbag from KenTheContractor.com. And this one comes to us uh, from Francis, who listens to our program on WEEU. Yeah, and Francis um, apparently lives in Shillington, PA in Pennsylvania, and she's looking at some fence work. We have so many fence questions. In fact, when we look at our website, fencing usually ranks in the number one or number two slot of hits and questions that we have. So a lot of you are involved in fencing, whether you have bad neighbors or just you need to do a lot of maintenance or you just want that privacy. In her case, she's got pets that she's trying to deal with. She said, we're going to replace the old wooden fence in our backyard. It's full of holes and has many broken boards due partly from baseballs. Our yard backs up to an open field where the kids play ball. She goes on to say, said, I'm happy to have them there, and we have good neighbors, but I need a solid fence to keep my dogs in. So I'm glad, Francis, that you qualified that. At least I know this is not about your neighbors. He says, I'm tired of repairing the fences. I've looked at vinyl fencing, but I'm told it may be damaged by an impact. It's too pricey for us to replace or repair on a very frequent basis. Should I use thicker wood and replace with the same wood materials, or are there other things in the market? Well, your first option, as you brought up, is that you could use a thicker wood material. If your post and the secondary structure, meaning the horizontal members, are sound, Francis, and then you may want to just consider replacing the vertical boards on your fence. Most prefabricated fences, and I'm making an assumption here, are installed with materials that may be five-eighths or a half-inch thick, they're much thinner than traditional one-by boards where you're dealing with three-quarters to seven-eighths of an inch. So if you have a high-impact area and you really like the wood fence and you also find that it suits your budget, you may want to simply replace all those vertical members with a, a full, thick one-by member as opposed to using a regular fence slat. It will take a lot more impact, and it will last you much longer if it is still a fence material and pressure-treated, if that's what you've got now. But I do want to give you, at least I want to share with you, a product that I brought to the show here a few months back. First time I saw this was at the International Builder Show. Brought the sample in. We couldn't show it to you, but Jim and I were quite impressed with this. And it's a product produced by uh, uh, Simtek, S-I-M-T-E-K, Fence. And you'll find out more than I have time to share with you on the air, but go to Simtech, www.simtechfence, S-I-M-T-E-K-F-E-N-C-E.com, and you will see this particular product that is it is a stone-looking fence. It's molded using polyethylene and reinforced with galvanized steel. This fencing material has started taking off as I have followed it. I have not installed any on projects. I'm looking for an opportunity to do that. But as I have followed this, as it's expanded around the country, apparently it's gaining quite a bit of traction. Well, you know, what I was impressed when you brought it in is it actually looked like something that, that you would utilize on a uh, a pseudo-brick-looking wall uh, that, that you were looking to put up or some type of natural stone. It 
you touch it, it has a smooth finish, but it, it, it appears to have texture. It appears to have texture. It actually has some depth to it. There are mortar joints, if you will, that are cast into this. But the, the things that impressed me so much when I first saw this product is its resistance to impact to golf balls, to baseballs, for people that live in high-impact areas where rocks or other things. I mean, just neighborhood things that kids get involved with. I.e., people who have kids or who have kids who live next door to them. live next door. I mean, these are all things that develop when you've got play yards and those type items. So it's so impact-resistant that it will take a baseball at 90 miles an hour, and it doesn't put a spot on it, and they've tested that. Also, it's designed for high wind loads because of the structural system. So if you happen to have issues with, with snow that builds up or just high winds with some of your winter storms, this can be a great asset. And one of the best things that I see that will make this product successful in the commercial world and certainly more urban areas is that graffiti washes off of it with soap and water. So you're not going to be able to paint or discolor or disfigure this. And again, the manufacturer is? Simtech, S-I-M-T-E-K, Simtech Fence. Go to SimtechFence.com. And, Francis, for you and others, that's what I'd recommend in the environment you're dealing with. You're going to find it price affordable in most cases compared to other vinyl products on the market. And tell them that Ken the Contractor said to get in touch. Absolutely. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can reach him through our website. Lots of information there, including in Ken's toolbox, some of the most popular topics that we deal with on a regular basis. That's right there on the front page of KenTheContractor.com. Or if you'd like to join us here on the radio program, it's 800 614 2975. That's the contact number for Ken the Contractor. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken the Contractor. Our phone lines are open. If you'd like to join us, don't forget you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or send your questions to Ken online at KenTheContractor.com. Time now for one-on-one with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better and provide options and services. We are pleased to have with us Carissa Jingris. Now, Carissa is with GE Generators, Briggs & Stratton, Marketing Manager. I guess that's actually your technical title. That is a very technical title. But welcome to the show today. Thanks, Ken. We're going to be talking about whole house generators. One of the things I want you to do is to make a distinction between the whole house generators and generators because commonly in the marketplace, people will say, I'd like a generator for my house, or I've thought about having a generator for my home. How do I go about doing that? First, let's make a distinction in what we're talking about here. Right. So typically we look at two different styles of of generators. One is a portable generator, and portables are very handy if homeowners have just gone through a power outage, a significant storm, and they just really need to sort of save their food in the refrigerator, power just a few things. And then we talk about a standby generator, and that's what we have from a GE generator systems. We actually create standby permanently installed generators that go on automatically as soon as the power goes out. So there's no confusion there if you're looking to power just your freezer and a power outage, that typical generator that we may use as contractors in the field to operate skill saws with, that's fine. Run the extension cord. Never put the generator in your house or in your garage or under an open window. Be sure it's clear of the house. But we're talking about whole house generators. Now, these are systems 
that many of you asked me about that are fully automated. They will tie into the electrical service. You don't have to touch it. Is that correct? That is correct. Within anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds after a power outage, your system will automatically go on, and whatever you're powering with that standby generator, your entire house, all of your appliances go on automatically. Do you have two particular systems or units that you want to talk about in terms of the power production, the KW, if you will? Tell us a little bit about those, and then we're going to talk about some versatility with them. Yeah, we're really excited to introduce our 17 and 20 KW units. They're a new design, um, but what's really exciting about this is it's actually br- groundbreaking airflow technology. And, and that's really important to people because essentially what we've been able to do with that is we're actually pushing the CO2 out the front. We're front exhausting the units. So it hasn't been kind done of in backwards the industry. from what most people think about. A little bit. The exhaust typically are on the sides of the units where we're actually looking at pushing it out the front. So um, that enables us to put the unit closer to the home. Um, it also allows us to put shrubbery and landscaping on the side of the units when typically, again, if, they, if you had the exhaust on the side, you actually have to stay anywhere from 5 to 10 feet away from shrubbery. So consumers can actually kind of have that blend in a little more with their landscaping. And that's also my understanding this technology makes this a very quiet unit. Yes, we're actually bending the air as we go through this airflow technology. So the result of that is because we're exhausting out the front and we're bending the air, the air essentially has to go through a couple 90-degree turns and some loops. Um, it actually is, we're looking at a 25% reduction in sound loudness, and we're, we're actually hoping that this is going to be one of the quietest generators of this size on the market. So for those living in subdivisions, especially where there may be ordinances regarding these not being seen, being blocked by landscaping, behind fencing, close to the house, a decibel level that's written in some covenants and restrictions, this would be the generator for them to consider because it sounds like it's going to meet all kinds of criteria that other systems do not. Yeah, absolutely. It's also, it is very consumer driven. Uh, it's a really good looking unit. It has a galvanial structure, uh, the enclosure, so it's corrosion resistant. Um, it also has a sloping roof, uh, which typically isn't done. So it don't, keeps any snow away. It also pushes the rain away from the foundation. All right, let's talk about capacity because you mentioned some numbers that may not mean a lot to our listeners. You had a, a 17 and a 20 kW. Equate that to them. Most most of you listening out there will have an electrical service that's typically 200 amps. You may have a 400 amp service, and if you do, you generally are going to have two sub-panels somewhere in the house. Not always, but that is most common residential construction. So a 17 and a, a 20 kW, how will that work for folks, let's say first with a 200 amp service? We have 200 amp services for both of those units. We also offer another new product that we're talking about is actually a, a dual 200 amp transfer switch. You mentioned, uh, you know, a lot of times people have two 200 amp coming into service coming into their home. Total 400 amp, right. single meter, so you're not confused, but that'll give you two 200 amp panels. And we actually, we've taken that, we've made it easier for the installers by putting that all in one box. So typically they've actually had to purchase two different transfer switches, each 200 amps. This one is 200 amps inside one box. Makes it easier for them to hang, makes it easier for them to install quicker. So that means there's some type of internal load management system so that you've got a total potential of 400 amps, but yet you've got a 200 amp rated generator because I think we all know that it's almost never that we draw that total amount of power at one time, and that's motor starting loads, all the compressors, the oven, everything coming on instantly. Right. There's something in this with new technology that controls that. Am I 
correct? Right, absolutely. We have um, Symphony 2 power management, which is just as you said, you know, a lot of the codes require that generator to be able to power everything at the same time, but we know as, as homeowners that typically we don't have everything going on at the same time. What our units allow is it's going to take care of all the things that you want to go on immediately, and then it provides access to other appliances, high-wattage appliances that you might want to manage. So you can actually get a smaller generator. It's less expensive, more affordable, smaller footprint. Uh, we like to say that it powers more for less. Okay, now how is this generator or any of these, how are they fueled? Are there optional fuel sources? Are they gas? Are they LP? They are either natural gas or liquid propane. It's up to the homeowners to what they have. So any of our generators are actually applicable to both of those. From experience, I can tell you that this is the cleanest burning operation, requires the least amount of maintenance as far as the engine goes. This should be a clean burning, very easy to maintain generator. And it sounds like it's fully automatic. It's just, it's out of sight. It's out of mind. When the power's out, 15, 20 seconds, your power's back on while your neighbors are still in the dark. Exactly. Everybody's just living their life normally inside their home. They'll all be at your house, especially if it were something like a Super Bowl weekend or a special event, NASCAR during the middle of the year, golf tournament, whatever. They may be coming over and and eating and watching TV with you because they'll have no power. Right. Tell me a little bit about the Briggs & Stratton side of the GE generator so folks aren't confused. I mentioned both those names when we opened the segment. Sure. We're actually the exclusive licensee of GE generator systems at Briggs & Stratton. So we actually, we manufacture, we design design, develop all of the GE standby generators. You know, we have a history and a legacy in creating engines, which is an extremely important component of standby generators. Where do folks go if they want to find out more about household generators? Um, They can purchase generators at Home Depot, their exclusive uh, retail partner. We also have a network of authorized dealers where they can get standby generators from GE. Carissa, we appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for all the update and the information on the GE standby generators. Thanks, Ken. You know, and you would think that these would be most popular in particularly, quote-unquote, the country, as people like to refer to it, or rural areas. But I know a lot of folks in and around one major urban area, and that's the nation's capital, who have gone out and put these in because of the issues that the provider in the D- in the D.C. area has had. Uh, they've had some long outages, snowstorms, thunderstorms, all different times of the year where they've gone days without power. And I'm familiar with other metropolitan areas where just the grid is a, is a problem occasionally, as we have discussed, and people that can afford it want to have this whole house standby. So they're popular 12 months out of the year these days, not just during hurricane season if you're a coastal uh, environment liver. Yeah, and for a lot of folks in those areas, they're almost standard equipment when a house is built. Uh, they really are today. We see that more and more. It's designed in with the initial home, so no matter where you live, give it a thought. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Well, you can reach Ken Patterson. You can always reach him at his contact number. That's 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken. You can send them and forward them to our website. That's Ken the Contractor. Dot com. And again, our number, 800-614-2975. We'll take a quick break and come right back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Welcome back, and you're listening to Ken the Contractor. Working on a little bit of a project this weekend, maybe need some help? Give Ken a call. He can help you out. 800-614-2975. Or if you're shy and don't want to be on the radio, you can email your questions to kenthecontractor.com. we got more email questions we'll get to in just a moment. Right now, time for... The app of the week. The ever famous app of the week. And this one many of you may already have. This is one that I picked up here a few months ago and have used a couple of times. And I find it very handy both in the business world and sometimes just when you're out on your own. 
What we understand is we are a multicultural nation. We have people from all over the world speaking so many different languages. And sometimes it can be a little difficult to communicate or to really understand that word. Having just uh, come back from a trip overseas not long ago, I found in some countries there are people speaking fluently four languages. And I'm saying, I'm still trying to master English. I need help here. Anyway, my app of the week is called a Talking Translator. And I've got it on my smartphone with me as I sit in the studio today. This translator allows you to speak into your phone, and I would keep the sentences short and fairly simple, but to speak into your phone, and it will translate what you are saying into, I believe, up to 14 different languages. And the other way around, if you've got someone speaking Spanish or other language, maybe Italian, whatever, they can speak into that phone, and you can see the printed word translated. So if they're trying to communicate with you, you've got someone working around the house and uh, they're not speaking English as, uh, as well as you would like them to do so and you, you can't quite understand them, for you to have this handy and ask them simply, you know, to show them or stand there with this while they're speaking and let it be recorded, it will give you the words in English so you might better understand the task or the project or the work or the access, the things that they're asking you to help get something done around the house. Likewise, if we're communicating with someone from other parts of the world, it's the same for English-speaking folks to be able to speak into this thing and have it translated into, again, uh, French, Italian, Spanish, and so on. But about 14 different languages. I have found that it works reasonably well. It's like most anything, any computer device you're speaking into, you have to be fairly slow and you have to be concise and you have to enunciate properly. If you do not, then the words may be misconstrued, and that's the downside is you end up talking to them about painting the wall red, and you end up with purple. So all I want you to do is be aware of it. But I find it to be an interesting and fascinating app. It's absolutely free. It's available for Android-based phones as well as your iPhones. That's uh, very helpful to me because my entire basis uh, for foreign languages are key phrases that I've called from James Bond movies over the year. That's about it. <laughs> That's about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you've used one of the higher sources for learning language then, so I guess it's okay. You can tell I'm a, I'm a very well-rounded and well-traveled individual. All right, let's go back. We get some very interesting mailbag questions. And i got to tell you, this one has to go to the top of the list from Ian in Virginia. Yeah, and I had to look at this at first and then say, okay, we have other calls and email questions that deal with pests. And so many of us have critters of certain types around our home. We're saying, how do I deal with this, uh, especially if you don't want to blow something up? And that's not recommended by anybody today, the animal rights groups, individuals. You know, we just we don't want to do those things. So the, let me go to the question before I get myself in trouble here. This comes to us, as you said, from Ian in Virginia. And he said, I have a large outdoor front porch with a ceiling fan. Last year, a bird made a nest on one of the fan blades. The uh, the birds made nest on two of the fan blades uh, recently. What can I do to prevent this from happening? And Ian, you know, my off-the-cuff remark, and I have to say this, is turn the fan on. But I know that's not really where you want to go. That's kind of a, a smart remark, and mm-hmm. I want to give you a serious answer because that's not proper. Now, for those of us that do have outdoor fans that tend to stay on most of the time, we may not have an issue on the fan blades, but I have seen this occur on the fan housing. So even for me to give you that answer would not be correct because they will still nest on parts of the housing that does not move. And any time we have something out of the shelter that's still outdoors, we all have issues with birds. And this causes me to look at some of the products and things that many of us have been exposed to over the years. And what I would suggest to you is consider some type of a bird repellent product. There are products that come in spray-on form. They can be applied 
in brush form, and I'll give you a couple of names here in just a moment. There are also gels that come in a caulking tube form that you can apply to windowsills. You can apply to eaves if it's a particular issue, the bird droppings coming down on windows or over doors, or in your case, on a fan blade. And most of the products, especially the gel and brush-on, are typically designed to go on just about anything outside, whether it's wood, it could be stucco, it could be brick, it could be block, it doesn't matter. What I haven't found is these being terribly effective regarding woodpeckers, so I'm assuming these are ordinary, any other species of birds, because woodpeckers are a separate issue that we deal with on occasion. Yeah, we have had a couple different questions from folks about that, and the woodpeckers appear to be a totally unique situation from a lot of other birds when you're trying to control them. And that's partly because of what they're looking for and eating. So we're, I make a, an assumption here that Ian's issues would be with birds other than woodpeckers. And many people have indicated to me that the, the gel and the material that you can spray on or brush on products that are eco-friendly do no harm to the birds. They are environmentally friendly. They're biodegradable. And you should have no issue uh, finding these. If you're not interested in using those, there are also sound devices that are out there that are used with to, to keep woodpeckers and other birds away as well. And uh, these are have just some type of a supersonic sound that the birds hear that we don't necessarily hear. And those typically start somewhere around $125 to $150. And they emit predator sounds that uh, drive whatever your particular pest bird is away from the area that they're nesting in. And really, if you only have a nesting issue, they're there short-term for a few weeks out of the year. This is something that you need to use short-term. You're not going to have it up all the time. But one company that makes a lot of bird control products is called Nixalite, N-I-X-A-L-I-T-E, N-I-X-A-L-I-T-E. And with that company, you're going to find the gel that comes in a tube form that I'm talking about. You're also going to find brush-on products that are environmentally friendly, biodegradable. This is not harmful to the animals or to the watershed in your particular area, always an issue for us. And so I'd recommend you take a look at that and see whether or not that will solve your problem. They have several down there. But if you continue to have issues with this and you have tried these products, send me another email and we'll follow up with some other alternatives. But these are quick and simple and environmentally friendly, and that's where I'd suggest you start. For anybody that has bird issues nesting under an eave, maybe they've gotten in a garage, these products work. Very good. And, you know, the only thing we find with some of the repellents and stuff, you may have to use different combinations or different repellents. That's the one consistent thing we seem to find about animal repellents. There are certain things that I'll never forget this. Uh, we had a family dog at one particular time who got enamored with uh, uh, the plants my parents were planting in the whiskey barrels in front of the house. So my dad got some of that hot pepper spray. Well, as we found out and watched with amazement, the dog treated that like salad dressing and more, really more like ravenously <laughs> uh, devoured it. But there's other stuff that they will stay away from. And, and you've just got to sometimes, it's almost trial and error, going out treating areas and seeing how whatever you're trying to repel reacts. And you mentioned that there is one product called, it's spelled P-I-G-N-X, which really is a product made with uh, capsian which is what makes chili peppers very hot. That's not uncommon in, in pest and animal control. You've been listening to Ken the Contractor, where folks come for professional answers. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach Ken at our contact number. That's 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or online at KenTheContractor.com. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. 
You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com. 